0: So we're in the middle, or actually, we're coming to the end of our series here on Be Still. Um, And it's a series that we've been doing for a month now, and we've been recommending you read uh, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I realise some of you may have done that, but some of you may not be reading people. That is also okay. So I will tell you today that if you Google John Mark Comer Hurry podcast, he's done a 10 series podcast that's completely free. So if you're not a reading person, you can always listen to the podcast. This is going to be the last one in the series uh, we've been doing on Be Still. Before next week, we're going to be talking a little bit about Christmas, which is exciting because we all like Christmas. Before I begin, though, let me pray. Father God, I, I pray that we would hear your voice today. I pray that whatever's going on in our life and whatever's happening that we'd be able to hear you. Amen. I wonder what your favourite TV series is. Uh, I mean, some of you may have favourites, some of you may like a few. Well, my absolute favourite TV series is called The Office. Has anyone seen The Office? The American version, I think, is a little bit better. Hetty has, the only hand I saw at the back. Um, Now, any chance there's an opportunity for me to include a clip from The Office into a preach, I just take that opportunity. I'm going to put that out there. We're probably going to watch the whole ten seasons of The Office together over the next period I'm here. But today, we're going to watch a clip from The Office. So I hope you've never been in a situation where you've been filled with as much fear and panic as that fire drill. But the reading we heard today reminds me a little bit of that clip from The Office. The Israelites, who were God's chosen people, um, were slaves in Egypt. But they cried out to God, and after 10 plagues, Pharaoh agreed to set them free. So God leads them out of Egypt, and he takes them to the edge of the Red Sea but Pharaoh has a change of mind. He doesn't want to lose all these slaves and so he gets together an army and they race after the Israelites on chariots. Now the Israelites don't know that Pharaoh is coming after them. Facebook has not given them any updates yet. So the first they know about this is by seeing hundreds and hundreds of chariots racing towards them. And quite rightly, they start to panic and they are filled with fear. Now, I'm not sure they're quite throwing cats around and saying everyone for themselves, but the Bible says they were terrified. And even in this state of fear, one wise guy sarcastically turns to Moses and says, "'Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die?' Knowing full well that if Egypt is famous for anything, it's having lots and lots of graves, pyramid-shaped ones. Others start mumbling. I knew we should have never left Egypt. Mildred, I told you, this was a bad idea. Didn't I tell you? This is how it's going to turn out. We should have just kept our heads down, Mildred. Didn't I tell you? I told you this would happen. So the chariots are thundering towards them. We have Mr Sarcastic chipping in from the corner. We have Mildred and her friend grumbling. And everyone is full of fear and panic. And even worse than that, there is nowhere to run. The Egyptians are in front of them and the sea is behind them. And in this fear and panic, sarcastic jokes and grumbling, Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Though the Egyptian army is charging them down, though everyone is filled with fear, though there's grumbling and there's complaining, though there's panic everywhere, Moses says to the people, be still. Stop complaining. Stop panicking. Stop being scared. And be still. I don't know about you, but if I was in that situation, I would be thinking, how far can I swim without drowning? I would be thinking whether I could dress up convincingly as an Egyptian soldier. And I'd be thinking, where have all the white flags gone? I'd be wanting to do something. Yet Moses commands them to do nothing. In the face of their enemies, in the midst of stress and worry, when fear grips them, when death is literally in their face, Moses commands them to silence and to waiting. And at the heart of this command is trust. Do the people trust God? Do they rely on themselves or do they rely on God? Do they have faith in what they can do or what God can do? At their deepest level, when the world seems against them, who do they trust? I can remember a few years ago, I was driving to another part of the country and it was quite a long journey and I checked on Google how long this journey would take. And I'd left myself loads of time to get there. I put the address into the sat-nav and it'd given me an estimated time. And it's well before the meeting starts. But after a while of cruising down a motorway, I hit standstill traffic. At the beginning, I think, well, I've left myself loads of time. It'll be fine, there's traffic, it'll be 10-minute delay. I'll get through it, it'll be fine. But as the minutes tick by and my estimated time of arrival just keeps ticking higher and higher, I begin to get a little bit worried. As the traffic is crawling along I begin to think to myself, you know there must be a quicker way. You know if I just pop off at the next junction I'm sure I'll be able to find some back road that the locals know about and I'll be able to just nip round and come back a few junctions down and I'll probably save a bit of time. And as my stress levels rise this seems like a better and better idea. So when I eventually reach the next junction and we're still barely moving, I turn off and I start driving a direction I think might be right. The sat-nav just keeps telling me to turn around, but I don't trust it. And so I plough on through some random villages. The estimated time on my sat-nav just keeps going higher and higher and higher, but I just end up muting it. And eventually the sat-nav stops telling me to turn around and it catches up with where I am and in some part of me I feel like this is a little victory. However, my estimated time is now 45 minutes longer than when I turned off at the motorway and deep down I know I should have just trusted the sat-nav. But if I'm in a rush, if I'm worried or I'm stressed, I'd always prefer to be moving than to be stood still in traffic. Being stood still in traffic just feels so helpless. I'd prefer I'd prefer to try and do something than just wait around. Now the funny thing is, you thought I would have learned from this, and I've only ever tried this once. But I've done this on more than one occasion. Even though I have no idea really where I'm going, I want to feel in control rather than being at the mercy of shouty satnav lady. As the Red Sea was pressed against their backs and the armies of Egypt were rushing towards them, the question was raised, who fights? Who is in control? Who has the power to do anything? Who do we trust? The Israelites had the choice between falling back on themselves and trying to take control or falling back on God and trusting him. The command to be still was more than a command to stop complaining. It was an invitation to trust God. The Israelites were told, do not be afraid, instead be still. Not because the situation wasn't dangerous, but because they followed a God who they could trust. Stillness is the consequence of a life that trusts God. The two are connected We are all on a journey in this life. The question for all of us is, who do we trust? I don't always trust the satnav. When I'm not rushed or I'm not stressed, I can trust it. But when I'm stressed and the traffic lies in front of me, I sometimes think I know best. I sometimes try to do things by myself. I sometimes just can't wait. I have a desire in me to just keep moving no matter if I'm going the wrong direction. I don't always trust God. When I'm not afraid or stressed or rushed, I can trust him. But when I feel low, or I feel scared, or I feel threatened, or I feel insecure, or I feel anxious, and the mountains of this life lie ahead of me, I sometimes think I know best. I sometimes try and do things by myself. I sometimes can't wait. I have a desire in me to just try and find a way myself, no matter if I've no idea where I'm going. But it's in those moments God whispers to us, be still, don't be afraid, trust me. And in those moments we can ignore that whisper. We can rush around and try and get through life by ourselves. We can try and swim the Red Sea or dress up as an Egyptian soldier. Or we can listen to the whisper and stop trying to escape from our past, survive our present and control our future. We can hear the voice of God and stop the lonely grind of only trusting ourselves. We can stop running through life, fearing what happens when the music stops. We can ignore God and make our own path, trusting in ourselves we can trust God and find rest, hope, love, peace and stillness. Stillness is not found in the absence of danger, but in the God we can trust in the face of danger. Stillness is the consequence of a life that trusts God. And for all of us today, we're on a journey. Who are we trusting to guide us, to keep us safe, to fight for us, to provide for us. And in those moments when you find yourself in the middle of a traffic jam, when life just maybe seems a little bit too much, and the chariots of this world are rushing towards you, do you have the bravery to be still and trust God? The passage we heard today continues with the famous story of the sea parting and the Israelites walking through, while Pharaoh and his army follow and are destroyed by the sea. But this story isn't an isolated story. It's bound to a bigger story of creation and recreation, deliverance and freedom. In the beginning, the Ruach, the wind or spirit of God, hovered over the waters. In the story of Noah and the flood, which is ultimately a story of the recreation of this world, the Ruach was sent over the surface of the water. In this passage, the Ruach drove back the sea. In the beginning, on the third day, dry ground appears out of the watery mass. In the flood, dry ground appears from the watery graves. In this passage, dry ground is opened up on the sea floor. In all three stories, this act of creation allows for new people to be birthed through water. In the beginning, God overcomes the chaos, which some have argued to be a cosmic battle between spiritual forces to bring order. In this passage, God overcomes all the Egyptian gods to bring order. In the story of the flood, it is Noah and his family who are saved by an ark, a wooden boat covered in tar and pitch. Moses is saved as a baby by a basket, which can also be translated ark, covered in tar and pitch. In the flood, God chooses water to destroy the world. In this passage, God chooses water to destroy the Egyptians. The unleashing of the waters is a reversal of creation. The waters that were once tamed are now let loose. This story is not an isolated story. It looks back and it also looks forward. When Jesus was born and had to flee to Egypt because Herod was killing all the babies, Matthew quotes a prophet who said, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Jesus was up on top of a mountain and had an experience where he met Elijah and Moses, it says they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring fulfilment at Jerusalem. The word departure in Greek is the word exodus. Moses spoke about Jesus' exodus. This passage is far bigger than a simple story and its meaning is more significant than it might first appear. This is the story of a God who creates order from chaos, praise from fear, freedom from slavery, hope from despair, Absence from God to presence with God. Light from darkness, a future from a past, life from death. The, the creator God never stops recreating. In the beginning, in the flood, during the exodus, through Jesus, on Pentecost, through the Holy Spirit today. God never stops being a creator Creation was not and is not a one-time event for God. He does not paint a picture and hang it on a wall forever. Instead, he is always painting, always drawing new people, new futures and new life onto the canvas of his universe. And God wants to recreate people like me and you. He wants to recreate churches like Christchurch. he He wants to recreate towns like Southport. The act of recreation in the Exeter story involved a human response. The people were asked to trust God and walk through the sea. God didn't just teleport them over the sea. He asked them to be still, to trust him and to step into the unknown. And through their one small but brave act of faith, God again recreated their lives, their futures and this world. And today God wants to recreate people like me and you. If we feel like our life is chaotic, if we are trapped by fear, if we are caught up in addiction, if we have lost hope, if we feel distant from God... If life is dark, if we cannot run from our past, and if life feels like death, God wants to recreate us. Not because we deserve it, but just because that is who God is. God will not give up on us. We are always in God's mind. God is never finished creating and recreating us. But this isn't a passive process he asks us to be still to trust him and to step into the unknown i think the question for us all is whether we've been in church for our whole lives or whether maybe this is our first time in church the question is will we stop running and will we be still Will we stop wrestling control over our own lives? And will we trust God? And will we be brave and walk along an unknown path? Let me pray. Father God, it's easy to trust you when life is going well. But I want to pray for those that have come today where, where life is difficult, where it seems like darkness surrounds their life, where they feel lost or lonely, where they feel like you're distant or you're not even there. And I want to pray that, that today they would know that you are with them. And I pray that today they would be able to take that brave but small step to trust you, to trust you with whatever's going on in their life, however big or small, to trust you with, with their future and what that might look like, to trust you with their health, to trust you with their finances, And I also want to pray for maybe those who are in this room that maybe have never trusted you. Maybe they've come here today and this is their first time in church and they're thinking, what is all of this? Why why is he showing an office clip? But I pray that they would know today that you can be trusted. And I pray that they would know that they can give their life to you Steve's going to begin playing. But we chatted about lots today and some of that might have resonated with some of you. And as Steve plays and we begin to sing, I'd particularly like to pray for anyone that maybe for the first time has said, actually today, I want to trust God. I don't know what that looks like and that looks like a really unknown thing. Um, But today I want to trust God. Or it might be that you're going something through something really big in your life and you're thinking, I'm not sure God can do this. I'm not sure that, I mean, I think I need to handle this by myself because this is too big for God. And I want to offer the opportunity for you to be prayed for as well. So as we, as Steve starts playing, I'm going to be stood at the back and there might be one or two others and we'd, we'd love to pray with you, whether, whether that's for the you would trust God for the first time and this would be the first step, or whether you're just worried you can never trust God because it's just too big.